Ready, fire, aim. That sounds a bit odd. Ready, fire, aim. Yeah, that sequence is a bit odd. It's out of order. Uh, we have friends of ours that have a, an archery um, uh, business, and so they sell uh, all kinds of uh, archery supplies, but they also have uh, a huge uh, arena for archery. And these bows that they use are really powerful uh, bows. And so they go through some instructions precisely on the order and the sequence that is very important when handling, um, well, whether it's a, an archery bow or even a long gun. There's a sequence that's very important. Well, there's a sequence even if you were to build a house, construction uh, workers will tell us that there is a particular sequence that is vitally important when building a house. We know this practically even when it comes to students in school, that grade two necessarily follows grade one. And for those that are in a university or college or that you've spent time there, uh, you know that they have prerequisites, they call it. You have to take, you know, a year one before year two or there are certain subjects that are prerequisites. There's a sequence. Well, so too... There is a sequence when it comes to our being the church that God intends us to be. We talked last week about God's intention for the church in 2 Corinthians 5. That the intention is that the church would be the righteousness of God. And there's a particular sequence for that to be realized. What is the sequence that is absolutely necessary and vital for us to become uh, the intention God has for us, and without which it is impossible to realize the intention He has for us. This question about what is the sequence or what is the priority is something that has uh, been a struggle in stymied churches in the first century AD and continues to be a struggle for churches today. We understand, we get a sense of God's mission, His missio Dei, the mission of God, and we, uh, we can, one hand, we can think of it as God's mission is out there in the world. And so what we do with that is uh, we, uh, uh, we, some people might move into a neighborhood and we develop what's called lifestyle evangelism, and we live a certain way, and we become, in effect, the concept is, because God's mission is out there, the pressure is on for us to be essentially little Jesuses, individual Jesuses that go out into the world. And we have this idea that uh, we're bringing Jesus to the marketplace. We're bringing Jesus to the school or the grocery store or my workplace. And we go even further, and we start thinking that the missionary or the evangelist or that the individuals are the heroes, or the, they, they think of themselves almost like superheroes because salvation and evangelism becomes up to each one of us out there, and there's all this pressure. But it seems to be just too big, and it's, it can be exhausting. The other priority, some churches think, no, the, the mission uh, isn't out there. Uh, Jesus is, is in here. 
So the idea that, well, the church, the gathered group, this is the location where Jesus is. And so what happens in that case, when that becomes the priority, the sequence, then churches sort of get organized and they get operationalized and they internalize. Churches can even get competitive and become this super attraction-based model and it starts feeling like Disney with dry ice. But the gospel in that case is reduced. It's like it's too small. It's like, you know, the whole objective is if we could just get people here and the gospel is here only. And yeah, those are extremes. But as you're listening to me describing them, we have to admit that they're familiar. It's, but is there another way? Is there a different sequence? Is there a third way than those sort of extremes? What is the sequence that is so essential for us at Westview to realize God's intention for us to be His righteousness? Well, if we would ask, you know, uh, the Westview kids upstairs, you know, the, the, the Westview kids sort of default response is Jesus. We start with Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And more particularly, the presence of Jesus. Yes, Jesus' presence. And we've talked about that over Advent. The gift of His presence. And that it is through the presence of the Lord and through the presence of Jesus that He draws uh, people to uh, Himself. And we recognize that in this gift of presence that we talked about at Advent. But it's a particular kind of presence. It's a presence that is not forceful or coercive. It's a presence that is invitational and kind and gracious and merciful. Throughout history, as Scripture attests, God has related and made His way known through His presence and sought to bring transformation through His presence. At the beginning of Scripture, as we read in Genesis, there's this metaphor. It says, describes Jesus as walking and talking with Adam and Eve. This idea that He was with them. He was in relationship with them. They were together. He, his presence was known and heard and felt. But then that relationship, the presence that they had was disrupted both by human choice and by the spiritual forces of wickedness that are a reality. So the Old Testament goes on as we, as, as we learn more about God and human uh, history and human nature that throughout the whole Testament there are a vast number of different ways that God has manifested His presence in different forms. And there's been a description of God's presence and how He has sought to be present with His people. And then finally, as we were celebrating at Advent, that God the Father, Creator Himself, sent His eternal Son, and His eternal Son comes in and is present with us. And then He spends time with the disciples, and they are together. But before He ascends, after His crucifixion and resurrection, before He ascends to the right hand of God and in heaven, he says that the Father and Son will send a Spirit, and the Spirit will be present among us. 
And so there's this very real communication from our Creator that His desire is to be present with us. And He is currently dwelling with us by His Holy Spirit. And uniquely with the church. Paul describes this interconnection between God and the church, the group, the gathered group of followers of Jesus, the gathered group, and Paul describes it in Ephesians, and I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him, so this is the creator speaking of Jesus, and he has put all things under his feet and has made him, that is Jesus, the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, so he fills the church. The church is, Paul describes using the metaphor, his body, his visible, physical representation of who he is on earth. So the presence of Jesus. So we are the physical, visible manifestation, representation of Jesus on earth at this time. But Paul says Jesus is still the head of the body. So even though we, the church, are the physical, visible uh, reality and display of who Jesus is, He remains the head of the body, the head of the church. So even though now in this we also understand that Jesus rules the world, he also reigns in and among us. And in this way, listen, the church is his temple. If you've picked up the book that we are uh, recommending, Seven Practices by uh, David Fitch, you'll see in there that he makes this reference to this idea, this point, that the church is the temple of God. So God is present in the world and he is present and makes himself known most particular in a peculiar group of people who submit to him and honor him. This peculiar group of people that we are gathered on live stream and together here in person who honor him and say, yes, Jesus is Lord. And it is we as this particular peculiar group of people that have Jesus as Lord, and we conduct ourselves in a way that is visible and extends the character and presence of Jesus and makes that known to people in our community. And particularly to people who are struggling and hurt, that they would react and respond to us in a similar way that people reacted and responded to Jesus himself when he was on earth. So, for us to realize the intention God has for us as Westview, the sequence is that it begins with faithful presence. Using Fitch's phrase here, 
faithful presence. Christ's presence. Christ's faithful presence. And then our faithful presence. So that is the sequence. Christ's faithful ongoing presence. And then the next is our faithful presence. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, listen, actually in this matter of sequence, the challenge is when we're talking about the Lord is that there is no beginning or end. <laughs> and so when we say Christ's faithful presence, that is already established. It's not like it begins or that he is somehow not present. We, are, we acknowledge and it begins, it is established at Christ's presence. When we read the Gospel of Matthew, we understand even there when uh, the, Jesus is referred to, he's referred to as Emmanuel, God with us, they, his very name. Then at the end of the same Gospel, Matthew 28, Jesus says, I will be with you to the end of the age. In the Gospel of John, the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's always been present. It's His faithful presence. He's faithfully always present. Maybe that informs and shapes when we pray, Lord, be with so-and-so. Lord, be with so-and-so. He is. He's always present. So then what comes next if he is always present? Even the psalmist, David, Psalm 139, when he's going through this fantastic psalm, if you want to read a psalm, uh, uh, such a cathartic psalm, in one psalm, he goes through a gambit of emotions and thoughts. But in there, at one point, he's like, you know, there's a time when I just want to run away. But then he says, you know, well, where would I go? Because everywhere I go, you're already there. So if the sequence is, Christ's faithful presence, then our faithful presence. What we're really talking about in this sequence is our being faithful to be present to and with the Lord. That we would be present to and with Him. That we would tend to His presence. And when I used that phrase with Reese this week, and we were talking about it. He said, give me a synonym for tending to Christ's presence. And I described it this way. So Reese and I, are, we have daughters, and we're sitting. I said, imagine you're sitting at the dinner table, and your daughters are at the dinner table, but you're having a conversation, and you're not even addressing or paying any attention to your daughters that are sitting right there with you at the dinner table. They're present. They're right there. But our faithful presence, if we acknowledge that Christ is already present, then our faithful presence begins with tending, paying attention to, and relating to the Lord who is present. So it has to do with our attention. Actually, the, the technical phrase is, selective attention. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to do a little illustration and I'm going to invite uh, um, Alaikum and Kate. Maybe I'll put this down. So Alaikum, Alaikum and Kate and 
uh, Reese and Braden to come on up here. And um, I'm going to give you this basketball. And I'm going to give you this basketball. Now, uh, I'm going to describe for you what this is all about. Just spread out a little bit, maybe, Kate. Just come this way a little. Come this way. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a bit of a, uh, a challenge here. What I'd like you to do is count uh, how many times Alikum passes the basketball to Kate. Okay? They're, goal, they're all going to be passing the basketball. But he's going to be passing this basketball, so you're going to have to watch this fancy colored one. Count, see if you can count how many times he passes the basketball to his sister Kate. And meanwhile, Braden and Reese are also going to be passing the basketball. And just to make matters interesting, they might even move around a little bit. So anytime you're ready, you go ahead. That's great. Thank you. Um, now, thank you. Why don't we give them a, a, a applause? That was kind of complicated. <clears throat> um, now, does anybody, thank you uh, for, for doing that. Does anybody put up your hand or uh, if anybody wants to guess, how many times did Alikum pass the basketball to Kate? Anybody shout it? What? 11? 13? 13? Anybody else? How many times was it? 12. Okay. Now, how many of you noticed Kimberly? Okay. Yeah. About half. About half of you noticed Kimberly. Uh, this exercise, by the way, is um, one that uh, was done by two uh, professors and researchers on the subject of uh, selective attention, um, uh, Shabri and Simmons, and you can, if you want to know more about their work, you can go to invisiblegorilla.com, and you can see more about what they're doing there. But yeah, while they were doing that, Kimberly came from the door. She came up over here. Now, in, uh, in the researchers, they created a video. In the video, it was a gorilla that came in. We thought we would spare Kimberly the necessity of wearing an outfit like that. But she walked over here, came into the middle, and then she left. The, the point is that we all employ something called selective attention. Eric Kendall, who uh, a former, uh, he's since passed away, Nobel Prize winner, uh, doctor, professor, researcher. He, he uh, specializes in neuroscience and memory. And he talks about selective attention as being something where... We take possession by the mind in a very clear and vivid way, one of several simultaneous objects or trains of thought. That's your selective attention. So as soon as I tell you to count how many times you engage your selective attention, and it's a formal thing that you're doing as opposed to informal, 
and you're trying to pay attention to that. And selective attention means it implies that you necessarily dismiss other objects or trains of thoughts or things that are going on. So when we relate to, and by the way, Kendall and uh, another uh, professor, William James, who has also since uh, passed away, they talk about that this mechanism of selective attention is actually necessary for us in our relationships, for our explicit memory, our memory of relationships. And so when we talk about a sequence that's necessary, a faithful presence, being faithfully present and attending to and paying attention to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are encouraging us to actually engage in being selective in attention to Him and at the same time dismissing some of the other noise that's in our lives. It actually means acknowledging the presence of the Lord, testifying to Him, and especially... Because oftentimes it's not immediately obvious. He is certainly present when we gather here. And spending time being intentional about acknowledging the presence of the Almighty. <laughs> wow. Acknowledging the presence of the Almighty. You might recall the story of Jesus' friends, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And this one occasion when Jesus was over at their place, we don't know where Lazarus was, but his two sisters were there, Mary and Martha. And Martha is like Jesus is a guest, so she's busy trying to prepare things. And Martha is sitting there with Jesus. And finally, Jesus says these words in Luke 10, 41 and 42. Martha, he says, Martha, I know you were worried and troubled by many things. But there is only one thing that is important. And Mary has chosen that. And it will not be taken from her. The presence of the Lord. Presence with Him is eternal. Presence with Him is, not, is something that cannot be taken away. It lasts for time without end. It is eternal. And the message that Jesus is conveying to Martha at that time is that what we do with the Lord Jesus Christ is even more important than what we do for Him. What we do with Him is of vital importance even over and above what we do for Him. That's the sequence. We can't do anything for Him. We can do something with Him. And that with Him extends as we go into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and into our classrooms. What we do with Him. And so, the church is this unique group of people. We witness the presence of Jesus. We testify to his presence. We, we understand that he's already there. The difference between a, a 
congregation, the church of Jesus Christ, is not one of space or geography. The difference is that followers of Jesus, when we gather and when we scatter, the difference is that we submit to and we witness and we testify, we extend the presence of Jesus Christ. That's the difference. It isn't that we, have conf we confine uh, him to a place or a geography. The difference is that as we are here, we honor and we acknowledge the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we go, we do the same thing. I can testify, you know, a couple of years ago, I was doing a, a funeral uh, and, and I was speaking to the mother. It was a young man. He was in his 20s that had died. And I was speaking to the mother and she, I would say, was kind of uh, hostile to the gospel. But she had done everything for her son. She was an advocate for her son. And uh, he had a lot of special needs. I mean, is an understatement. And she was this advocate for her and she was persevered and she was just amazing this woman although she was not very receptive to the gospel but as I talked with her I said to her I see the work of the Holy Spirit in you and she had this look on her face like like what are you talking about and I said well the Holy Spirit is an advocate and you've been advocating for your son he, You've been good and you've been kind and you've, been, you've persevered and all of that. I see the Holy Spirit working in your life. I'm just going to testify. I see the presence of the Lord. It's what we do. We go around and we notice the presence of the Lord. We notice. And then we testify to Him. And we testify. So the way we do this, the way we practice this presence, this faithful presence, is that we participate in certain practices. So we want to get even more practical, more tangible. We participate in certain practices, certain things that we'll do. And that's what we're going to explore over the coming weeks. We're going to Go through these seven practices, things that are very practical that we do. We're going to talk about them, and I hope we ask questions about them. Because, friends, as I said in that video, and as Tyler was saying earlier this morning, that what we talk about here is, if it only stays abstract and ethereal, then it's of no earthly use to us. We need to ask questions so that what we're talking about actually lands in your life and that it lands practically so that we become the God, we gospel the gospel, that we can actually be faithful to his presence. There are three sacred spaces that uh, Fitch alludes to in his book. Those three sacred spaces, if you will, are when we gather together here. He refers to them as circles. So this is the close circle, not closed, but close circle. In this Space, the close circle we gather, and the Lord is the host. We honor Him. He is the audience. And we acknowledge His presence through communion and through worship music and through prayer and, and, and all of those sorts of things. That's the close circle. But it is more than that. So this is talking again about this balance. So we gather here and we practice the 
uh, selective attention. We practice noticing and relishing and reveling in the presence of the Creator. That should send shockwaves, like just make us move that the Creator of the universe is present here by His Holy Spirit. Amen? And amen. <laughs> the second is the dotted circle. It is dotted because it is porous, and we have what we call community uh, groups, community groups or life groups, and we meet in different ways. Uh, Kevin and Jim have now developed this hybrid model where they have people in person and people on uh, Zoom at the same time. Those guys are like rock stars. They'll just try and get every, anything to make it work. And in this dotted circle, we meet, but it's porous because even there, now in that setting, maybe you, the people in the home are the hosts, but it's porous because it is not just a, a, an enclave, but it's porous because we're willing to invite a neighbor, a friend, a spouse, somebody else into that to share the blessing. But even there, we're acknowledging the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how we acknowledge His presence takes on different forms than we do when we gather here. And then the third is the half circle or the open circle. And that is when you are going to the school or you're going out for coffee, you're going to the grocery store, you're going to the hockey rink. The Lord is present there. He is already present there. And so we're still with Him. And now even in those spaces, somebody else is kind of the host. But we are watching and seeing and finding the presence of the Lord in the circumstance that we're in, waiting and seeing. And when we notice, we join in whatever that is that the Lord is doing. So those are the spaces. And we're going to talk about the seven practices and how they unfold in these three spaces.